This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, SiriusXM Channel 132 Business Radio that's powered by the Wharton School. And I'm Kent Smethers, a professor here at the Wharton School. We're still doing these shows by Zoom until we can go back in the live into the studio. But in the meantime, you can connect with me by going to my website, kentonmoney.com, especially if you're looking for a fee-only advisor that I like, like our guest today, who's our Agorian founder and president of ACAP Advisors and Accountants. He's been on the show many times, and we're going to talk about inflation today, in particular, often we refer to as inflation as a death by a thousand cuts because it's incredibly uh, subtle, but it can really diminish the value of your portfolio over the years just from the pure compounding effect. All right, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kent. It's great to be back. Yeah, and it's great to have you back. And so let's talk a little bit about inflation. Uh, at first, you know, people hear this all the time. Uh, of course, you know, academics we have different definitions of it, but in terms of the, the kind of what we generally mean by inflation, uh, you know, define it and how is it calculated? Yeah, sure. So I agree with you that it's inflation is the death by a thousand cuts. So I haven't heard that term before. I consider it the silent killer because it's something that very few advisors or people factor into their financial planning when they're thinking about long-term planning. But right. to answer your question, inflation is essentially the erosion of your purchasing power over time. So it's the same thing that you heard your parents say when they said, when I was a kid, it cost you know $5 to go see a movie, and now it costs $18 to go see a movie. That, that difference is inflation. It's the, the rising cost of goods and services over time. Yeah, and it's a compounding effect. So, you know, if you have an extra 2% inflation every year, you know, that could seriously erode over 25 years, you know, your purchasing power even up to 40%. So it's it's potentially quite dramatic. Let's talk about the pandemic I, I, I impact on inflation. Of course, there's a short-term issue with some of the supply constraints, and but I would also like to get your view on the long-term issue. But let's talk about pandemic-related inflation? Oh, sure. Well, I think we can have an entire segment or entire week talking about the pandemic and inflation and how it's affected it. Uh, But I I just want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, and then I'll talk about the pandemic inflation, which is how CPI or how inflation is calculated. And it's, it's calculated by this measure called CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index. And it's calculated by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and uh, there's basically two types of, of CPI, consumer price index. There's the um, you know the headline CPI, which includes food and energy, which a lot of people don't realize. And then there's the core CPI, which does not include food and energy. So uh, when you hear about inflation in uh, the news, that's what they're referring to. They're referring to the CPI, which is used for a lot of different uh, measurement tools, such as Social Security or retirement benefits. Right. Um, but, but to answer your question about how the pandemic has had an impact on inflation, uh, I think you're going to be talking about this with your business students in case studies for decades to come, because the pandemic has had massive impacts on inflation. Uh, I think most notably the supply chains, because they've been so severely disrupted, it's caused the uh, supply of cars, supply of chips, supply of uh, uh, um, you know raw materials that go into making of housing and things like that. 
to go up significantly. And that in its pure definition is inflation. So for example, if you know someone who's trying to remodel their home or buy any equipment, uh, they're probably complaining that they've placed their order, but nothing has come. I mean, I'll, I'll speak from personal experience. We just tried to update all of our computers in the office and I placed the order in June and I just got you know three of them uh, a couple of weeks ago or uh, last week. So those types of um, excuse me for the noise. And, and apparently lots of fires are happening in yeah. LA right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's fire season, definitely. <laughs> so it's it's impacted it, you know, from that perspective. Also, restaurants, they're seeing price of their cost of goods sold, which is you know, the, the items they're putting into foods, that's going up. And it's it's all across the board. The pandemic yeah. has had a massive impact on inflation. It's it's going to be studied for decades to come. Yeah, and you're, you know, I should have mentioned this earlier, founder and president of ACAP Advisors and, and Accountants, again, ACAP, and you guys are located in Los Angeles. And, you know, you have a lot of ships sitting offshore right now waiting to get unloaded as well. I mean, I just saw that graph earlier this morning by coincidence of how much stuff is waiting to get um, unloaded from ships that are just sitting offshore at this point uh, in California. So big supply chain uh, issues. Of course, one of my bigger concerns is the longer run with the incredible increase in government debt. And that's right. not going to go down as far as I can see unless Congress picks up, figures out, you know, how do we, you know, come up with the tax revenue? Someone has to have guts to propose that or how do I come up with, you know, curtailing spending over time? Someone has to have the guts to propose that and mechanically, mathematically. The only way we can balance over time is if the Federal Reserve it simply cranks up the printing press, and that is we monetize the debt. And so that's, in, in my uh, sense, a uh, concern for longer-term planning, why I think uh, I'm quite uh, concerned about that. We'll come back to that theme a little bit later when we talk about tips. But, you know, let's talk about the Federal Reserve. Let's just mechanically. Milton Friedman taught us, you know, years ago, you know, inflation is always a monetary phenomenon. So you know, how, how are they... Explain how they're they control inflation, almost tapering that the Fed is you know talking about that people see in the news. How are you explaining that to your clients? Sure. So, um, just a quick side note. I don't know if you were, know, but I, I worked at the Fed for almost a decade. Yeah. So uh, I was I was part of that uh, that system, which is a phenomenal uh, system. If you ever get an opportunity to work at the Fed, it's a very very well oiled machine. Yeah. Now that being said, the Fed uh, one of its main goals is to control inflation, and before. All this talk about inflation that's been happening recently, the Fed was desperately trying to create inflation for several years. I mean, they were they were keeping rates low to, to stimulate the economy and cause prices to go up. It just just so happened that we had a pandemic hit and low interest rates that basically caused a spark and and this inflation to really really ramp up quickly. So what the Fed does to control inflation is they their main goal their main tool is by increasing or decreasing uh, interest rates, mostly short term interest rates. So yeah. if you know anything about bonds, which I know you do, Kent, but your listeners, for the benefit of your listeners, bond prices work in the opposite direction, or interest rates work in the opposite direction. So when um, uh, a bond price, as interest rates go up, the bond price goes down. Right. And as interest rates go down, the bond price goes up. And the reason behind that is because when a bond is issued, you have a fixed rate that you're given. And as interest rates rise to compensate for that fixed rate 
equivalent in the current market environment, you have to you have to pay less for that bond to now get the market equivalent to that same rate right. that you're getting on the fixed rate. So to control rates, what the, the Fed does is they'll lower mostly the Fed funds rate. Uh, they have the Fed funds rate, the discount rate that they control. They'll lower the Fed funds rate to lower interest rates and stimulate uh, economic activity. And if they see economic activities increasing, they'll they'll raise the rates. Yeah, yeah, and and so in it, that along with you know some other devices that they have, I, I remember this is probably about three years ago. I had Alan Greenspan on campus and did some interviews with him with in front of students and faculty, and I. It was a great discussion. It was uh, 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 not private, you know, discussion or anything like that. But it was, you know, a good discussion about how much is the Fed able to control, you know, some of those longer rates uh, that people think about when they get a house and so forth off the off the Fed funds rate. And so that's an area of active discussion. But let's talk about more practically for a lot of our listeners that they're thinking about social security benefits. And you know, it's interesting, of course. Is the initial benefits for Social Security not just adjusted by inflation, but adjusted by wage growth over your lifetime? That gives it the uh, standard of living type adjustment. But to talk about how benefits are adjusted in inflation after they are determined. So the Social Security benefits are adjusted every year for inflation, and they do it by applying a COLA adjustment, which is cost of living adjustment. Yeah. And that COLA adjustment is based on the CPI that I mentioned earlier. So they look at core CPI. They look at, actually it's not core, it's headline CPI, uh, which includes food and energy because right. that's what people have to consume. And they use that as a factor to adjust Social Security. And if I remember correctly, I think they're uh, adjusting it upward for the following year benefits-wise. Yeah, which they would because of inflation, yeah. And so the headline CPI, of course, is much more volatile than the core. That's the you know the reason why the Federal Reserve tends to look at core for its longer-term planning. But you're right, you know, ultimately people do buy food and energy. One of the criticisms of the CPI that is used by Social Security, of course, is that it it's really a nationwide basket of goods and services rather than a basket of services, uh, you know, that's consumed by older people that tend to have more out-of-pocket medical care and things like that. Right. So we'll see how that that works its way out in the future. Uh, so let's talk about you know assets that are you know more robust to inflation and assets that are less robust. Uh, how are you talking to clients about this? So this this is a great question. Assets that really uh, benefit from rising rates or rising inflationary environments are uh, stocks. Stocks are great inflation hedges. Real estate, uh, commodities, uh, fixed rate borrowers, and also variable rate lenders. So those types of assets or asset classes tend to benefit during a uh, inflationary environment. Mm. Whereas uh, assets that don't do as well during an inflation environment would be cash, having cash in your bank account essentially loses value every year by keeping it in there. Uh, variable rate borrowers. So if you're a variable rate borrower and inflation increases, then you then you lose out from it. And also fixed rate lenders. So if you're a lender and you're lending at a fixed rate and inflation increases, you're losing because now you're just getting a fixed rate amount for a set amount of time that's that values losing over time. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's one of those things that it's always, it's always great to be on the lending side, um, or the, but uh, I'm sorry, on the borrowing side of the rise in inflation, if it's a fixed rate, you know, and the borrowing side, you can wipe out a lot of, you know, real 
value that you have to pay back if you're on the borrowing side if you have a fixed rate um, the lender is going to get screwed over but if you have you know able to lend at um, a variable rate then you're a little bit more robust to that let's talk about, probably the you know most a lot of listeners aren't going to really have those things accessible to them but let's talk about steps in particular treasury inflation protected securities certainly what, those get a lot of negative press because so many people look at the first payment and they ignore the fact that it <laughs> provides a super value. There's a reason why that first payment's not that big, is because it's providing a super valuable hedge against inflation. But let's talk more, not just about tips more generally, but about I bonds. I mean, it, 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 I routinely ask, in fact, I just did this two days ago in my MBA class in San Francisco. What have Who's heard of I-bonds? And almost nobody heard of I-bonds. <laughs> Talk to me about that. And, you know, is it because financial advisors aren't making commissions off I-bonds? I you have to go to the Treasury direct, you know, directly to get those? I mean, why do you think no one's heard of I-bonds? Um, I'm not sure why no one's heard of I-bonds. Maybe because they're not as... Um you know, as marketable in the secondary market, I, I, I'm not sure, uh, or maybe they just have not been being as highly marketed. Uh, I would say people are, whether if it's I-bonds or TIPS, have just not been interested in the past decade or so because they look to see what the rates they're getting and then they compare what the markets, the stock market's doing. And they're like, well, I'm missing out on the stock market, even though they should have a, maybe a conservative portfolio there's always this opportunity cost of looking out on what they're missing out. So I, I think tips and I-bonds are a great, you know, diversifying asset to have in a portfolio. Uh, but recently, not recently, the, before this whole inflation discussion started, people just didn't think about it because they didn't think inflation was on the horizon and they'd rather make much more money in the stock market. Yeah. And I-bonds, you know, you can get them directly <laughs> from Treasury Direct and, they, you know, you can always sell them if you wanted to, although it's really great to get them at different maturities, create a little ladder for your portfolio. And, you know, uh, one of the things that turns off some people is you can only buy $10,000 a year of them per social security number. But if you're married, you know, you, that's $20,000 a year. But there's actually this back door to buying iPods and that is actually have um, you purposely with have your government, have the government, the federal government withhold more taxes than they should every year. So you get this big refund. Normally, I think that's a terrible idea of giving the government an interest-free loan for, you know, six, nine months. But in this case, you can actually invest your refund in directly into I-bonds. And, and it's kind of a backdoor way of getting above the 10000 which is, you know, I just think I-bonds are this incredible base layer of, of a kind of safety. It's hard, you know, when all everything goes terrible, you want I-bonds and ammo. That's pretty much what you want uh, <laughs> for when things go bad. So uh, let's talk about, you know, their existing assets. Listeners have an existing assets against inflation. I mean, uh, certainly we talked about, you know, how they can hedge that, uh, you know, and general equities uh, can keep up with inflation. Uh, but uh, suppose that somebody is, uh, let's think they have a life cycle fund in their 401k. I mean, is there, are there other things that they can uh, try to do uh, or, you know, things outside their 401k or uh, other advice that you give about hedging inflation? Well, outside the 401k, they should, the individual should try to have a brokerage account where they're saving in, which is essentially a savings account they can invest in. Yeah. Uh, and through that account, uh, they should be buying stocks. They should be buying the inflation hedges that I mentioned earlier, real estate type investments, because yeah. 
You mentioned earlier that there's a lot of stimulus going on right now, whether if it's the infrastructure bill or other types of spending, and that's that's going to continue. And, and that is really going to cause more inflation. So I believe that we're right. in the early stages and in the early innings of inflation, and it's it's not too late to start hedging your positions now and protecting the value of your dollar. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so what are some other questions they're getting from your clients right now? I mean, there's a lot going on. Uh, what other things are they concerned about? Uh, the questions we get from clients are directly correlated with what the hottest trends are in the news. Mm. So whatever the hot topic is in the news, that's what we get questions on. So for example, when Bitcoin was getting close to $60,000, everyone was calling in to buy Bitcoin. That's what they wanted to do. Now, when I try to tell people to buy Bitcoin, they don't want to deal with it because it's too volatile. Yeah. Um, but this happens every time. This is a reoccurring theme that's happened for as long as I've been in the business. It happened with gold, with AMC stock, with game stock. So it's really kind of whatever the hottest trend is. That's what we get phone calls on mostly. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, people are, you know, John Maynard Keynes talk about, you know, stock market being a beauty contest. So it's with, you know, um, often... It, the pretty stocks that, that by that you meant in the news go off to get all the yeah. uh, you know, investments and so forth. And so, you know, it's, it's, it looks like things haven't changed in the last hundred years. So uh, fantastic. All right. Thanks so much for being back on the show. Yeah. Thank you as well, Kent. And I think John Maynard Keynes also said um, the market can stay uh uh, inefficient longer than you can stay solvent, right? I think that was his quote. <laughs> Something like that. That's right. That would be a very <laughs> Keynesian thing. So, um, yeah, you can, you know, today's world, yeah, you can take you, that short position and be very, you know, confident that that particular stock, you know, is over overpriced, but <laughs> you may be still not able to survive that long. I mean, it, yeah. uh, the shark can still wipe you out. So, uh, you don't live forever and have infinite resources, that's for sure. So a uh, good point. So uh, if you want to learn more about Ara and his firm, uh, again, his firm is ACAP Advisors and Accountants. You can simply go to their website, which is ACAP, A-C-A-P as in Pam, A-M. Again, ACAP, A-M. It's also on my website, KentonMoney.com. And um, Kent Smithers, you're listening to your money business radio series, XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.